But the Callahan factory's been in my family for 70 years. You can't just shut it down. Son, you gotta look at it from my point of view. Callahan's a premium name. That's what I'm buying. I can make the parts in one of my factories, put them in a Callahan box, and sell them in my stores at a premium price. Why keep your factory going when all I want is the damn box? I'll tell you why, because there's a town involved here. Callahan factory's the only thing keeping it alive. Look, believe it or not, I'm providing a service. I'm thinning the corporate herd. You've seen that, Kari? The weaker animals always go. Sure, the kids cry when you tie old tiger to a tree and shoot him. But that's life. America's in a state of renewal. We gotta have the strength to tie a few factories to a tree and bash him with a shovel. Meanwhile, if I can grab your share in the market, put a little coin in my pocket by being the soul, well, what the hell, know what I mean? Boy, you sure are different in your TV commercials. What the American public doesn't know is what makes them the American public, all right? Yeah, television's been good to me, son. I make car parts for the American working man because that's what I am, and that's who I care about. The truth is, I make car parts for the American working man because I'm a hell of a salesman and he doesn't know any better. If I could stand beside myself, would I see me or maybe someone else? Because it's hard to please most everyone. When your spirit's got you on the run, on the run They say do your best, but don't cause a fuss Don't make waves be like the rest of us But I can feel the tide is turning fast It's deep inside I Everybody, this is Ed Hoffman, and welcome to the main event. Open up with that scene from Tommy Boy. You know what? That Tommy Boy scene. You know, hey, the American public doesn't know what makes them the American public. It's time for us to stop buying all the BS that they give us on TV. And I'm not talking about just the commercials, but the stuff that comes out of the mouth of the mouth of our leaders on uh, on TV, and take everything with a grain of salt. And go, hey, wait a minute, does this make sense? I say this every week. Hey, listen to what I say, listen to what Fox says, listen to what Newsmax says, listen to CNN and PMS, NBC, and read the newspapers, and look at your stuff online, and then compare it to what you're living through. And say, does this stuff make sense? Biden says everything's okay, but I'm paying paying $5 a gallon for, for a gallon of gas. And I'm paying eight dollars for a dozen eggs, and I'm and I'm getting a nine hundred dollar gas bills at my house. Is this okay? I don't think. Hey, you know we're in great shape. Our economy's strong. I'm seeing bank bank uh, banks go uh, collapsing. I'm seeing all this stuff going on, but everybody tells me it's okay. Everything's strong. It's the strongest economy ever. Look at it and say, nay, I just don't think this makes sense to me. If it makes sense to you, then you might be a Democrat. All right, so, uh, and that song was I'm Okay by Styx. You know what? They uh, 
They tried to cast, you know, uh, I believed them when they said I must do things their way. They tried to cast me in their mold, but I just had to say, I'm okay this way. I'm okay. Hey, you know what? Just because the the new world, the new the new uh, social norm is is uh, doing stupid stuff like having choking challenge. Hey, let's have a challenge. See if you could choke yourself till you pass out on social media. And kids are dying. You know, just because they're stupid doesn't mean you have to change. Just because they're stupid. Just because they say, hey, we should be concerned with climate change. We're going to save the earth, but we're going to kill all the people on it. You know, we're going to we're going to save the we're going to save the the earth from climate change, but we're going to kill all the whales and the dolphins on it. And we're seeing whales uh, wash up on uh, on the on the shores in uh, in Florida. We're seeing uh, big uh, schools of dolphins uh, come up, you know, swim up on the shore and dying uh, because of the the wind, the wind uh, turbines they're putting in the ocean. Uh, I don't know. You know, you're going to save the earth. From uh, fossil fuels, but you're gonna kill kill all the people and the animals on the on the planet in the process. I think I'm okay the way I am. I think America is okay the way it has been, and uh, and I'm good with that. I'm gonna talk about some other stuff that you should be paying attention to uh, on on TV and in the news this week. But before I do, let me introduce myself. For those who don't know me, my name's Ed Hoffman. I'm with United American Mortgage. Uh, if you're ready to get involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate. And every week, there's becoming more and more opportunity. If you need financing, call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One last time, day or night, toll-free, area code 855-640-2020. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me about real estate or financing, and you, but you don't want to talk on the phone, go to edhoffman.net, E-D-H-O-F-F-M-A-N.net. Click on the United American Mortgage logo. Put in as much information as you want me to have. Tell me how much information you want back. You'll hear from me or one of my talented teammates. We'll help you find the missing pieces to your real estate financing puzzle. Whether that's refinancing a piece of property that you own or financing a piece of property that you'd like to own, whether that's in California or another state, or if, you, uh, or, 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 or if you're over 62 and or your spouse is over 62 and you've got more equity in your house than you have money in your bank account and, uh, and you've, got, uh, you've got more years left in your life than you have money, then you feel like uh, you'd like to tap into some of that equity to help your life get get easier. Uh, and uh, with one of those reverse mortgage things, 855-640-2020 or edhoffman.net. Click on United American Mortgage logo. Uh, if you have comments on the show, uh, uh, send it. Send me an email to ed at edhoffman.net. And if uh, you want hear any any part of the show you want repeated or you or you missed it, you can get the podcast on on uh, edhoffman.net on the podcast page, or you can get it on SoundCloud or iTunes, Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe for free and have it download to your device uh, shortly after we upload it on Friday afternoons. All right, so let's talk about what's going on. We've been listening to this all week, all week on the news, but I'm going to try and uh, go a little deeper than what some of you guys may know. Uh, after seven years of Democrats salivating over the idea that Trump could be arrested and face criminal charges... One New York City district attorney is currently preparing to make their dreams come true. Or is he? Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg has convened a special grand jury of 23 residents who've been hearing testimony on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays for the past several weeks. They're almost done hearing the, hearing the witnesses, and then they will be asked to vote on whether to indict the former president. So are they going after Trump for anything related to his time as president? No, he was in Washington, D.C., not New York. How about anything related to January 6th? No, 
Same reason, as we all know, they would if they could. So what is what is he what is the wrongdoing that may deliver on the Democrats' sick fantasy of seeing Trump in handcuffs? Well, DA Alvin Bragg has seized on the opportunity to be the one who gets Trump indicted by going all the way back to the most irrelevant detail of the 2016 election, hush money payments to porn star Stormy Daniels. If Trump is indicted, and that's still a big if, we'll explain why in a second, uh, prosecutors would most likely work with his legal team to arrange his surrender in Manhattan, and therefore no no picture of Trump in, in handcuffs. But what will they charge him with? No one seems to know. From the New York Times on Tuesday, what might the charges be? While it is clear Manhattan prosecutors have been investigating the role Mr. Trump played in hush money payment to porn star Stormy Daniels, the specific charges prosecutors could seek are unknown and will probably remain so even after he's indicted. Here's something else that proves how bogus this is, also from the New York Times. Will Mr. Trump be held in jail? Because of the nature of the potential charges against Mr. Trump, the law does not allow prosecutors to seek to have him held on bail. And as a leading presidential candidate, he's far from a flight risk. Mr. Trump will almost certainly be released shortly after he's arraigned. As I see this, the whole Stormy Daniels thing, um, if he did it, is a crime against Melania Trump. And that's between, between Donald Trump and Melania Trump. Not a not a crime against society, and it's not a not a uh, against the law. If paying if paying a woman to to shut up is a crime, every every married man in America would be in jail. So what's the point of this? Well, to start, D. A. Alvin Bragg is clearly doing doing this to boost his own notoriety by being the one who makes Donald Trump the first former president in United States history to face criminal charges. Here's some background, um, which the most which most of us probably don't know because we don't live in New York, but apparently the media doesn't seem to uh, wanna, want to, uh, to educate us on this. Bragg's 2021 DA campaign was funded largely by liberal billionaire George Sor- Soros through the Color of Change PAC. So throughout the campaign, Bragg was pressured to say that he would do something about Trump if elected. Case in point, radio interviews like this. A lot of people are wondering, uh, whoever has this job, are they going to convict Donald Trump? Look, that 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 is uh, the number one issue. I'm the candidate in the race who has the experience with with Donald Trump. I was the chief deputy in the attorney general's office. We sued the Trump administration over a hundred times. And What's, you believe it should happen? I I, I I believe we have to hold him accountable. I believe we have to hold him accountable for what? You know what? Bragg is uh, Bragg seems a little bit hesitant to say that he should be indicted, but he says, "Hey, I believe he should be accountable." He's trying to play play the part until he gets elected. But immediately after his election, Bragg seemed to back off from the idea of prosecuting Trump. This prompted two of his prosecutors to resign, and of course, it triggered an onslaught of criticism from the left, who thought he owed them for getting him elected. So now Bragg has bowed to the left's pressure. Meanwhile, he has no tolerance for the New Yorkers who see his policies getting, of getting police officers killed and making the streets of Manhattan unsafe. Here's about two minutes of a CNN report. Yep, we're quoting CNN, a CNN report on Alvin Bragg that shows where his priorities are. 
Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg could argue he's recently had reasons to, well, brag. So help me God. He's the first black person to lead that office. He won a major tax fraud case brought against the Trump Organization last year. But now in just his second year of holding office, he may become the first prosecutor to indict a U.S. president. Bragg always remained mum on the possibility of criminal charges against Donald Trump for his role in a hush money scheme. Internally, Bragg isn't backing down as the pressure in the case builds. He recently told his staff in a memo he would, quote, not tolerate attempts to intimidate our office, as Trump repeatedly calls him out by name on social media while also denying any wrongdoing. An indictment would be a culmination in a nearly five-year-long investigation that began when Bragg's predecessor, Cy Vance, held the office. It's been a rocky road getting to this point. I bring hard cases when they are ready. Two senior prosecutors in his office resigned last year when Bragg signaled he wouldn't pursue criminal charges against Trump. I think the evidence uh, was there. This is not uh, a personal issue or a fight. It's a disagreement about prosecution policy. Bragg ramped up the Trump investigation this year while continuing to weather major criticism about being soft on crime in New York City. Last year, an internal memo surfaced urging his team to not prosecute certain low-level offenses. It came the same week the city buried two police officers killed on duty. I know you were tired of these laws, especially the ones from the new DA. The former federal prosecutor is Harlem-raised, Harvard-educated, and while his current role thrusts him into the political spotlight, he maintains he is a lawyer at heart, once representing the family of Eric Gardner and fighting for numerous social justice causes on his way to the DAC. I've been advocating for changes to the law so that police can be held accountable. But no bigger battle than now, as Bragg may make history once again. Yeah, apparently the American public needs to know what makes them the American public, even in New York City, because he said they should watch what watch what Bragg does and uh, and mix that in with the things that he says and uh, and decide whether this this is uh, who they want in their in their uh, in that position. So, in other words, he had a history of defending criminals. He had a history of going after cops and trying to. Uh, to uh, let uh, let criminals off because cops were bad cops, and they elected him to a position where he's supposed to do the exact opposite of that, and back up the cops and put criminals away. Uh, I think there's a a, confl- a conflict of interest there. I just don't understand how those how those two things go together. Now House Republicans want Bragg to des- testify before Congress and answer for his decisions. Here's Kevin McCarthy and Jim Jordan. So it's not here that we're coming to defend President Trump. What we're coming to defend is equal justice in America. What we see before us is a political game being played by a local. Look, at just as this, this isn't New York City. This is just the Manhattan. This is just the borough DA. He brags about lowering felonies to misdemeanors and not prosecuting. Mr. Bragg himself didn't want to bring the case, but then he got pressured, I think, from the left. And I would say this, the one thing that has changed, the one thing that I think has changed his mind is mm-hmm. President Trump announced he was going to run for president again. And suddenly here they go. Now they're coming after him for some election bookkeeping air you've got to be kidding me if this is not going after your political opponents and using the, the, the government to do so I don't know what is 
So the DA's office sent a letter this week saying that this is Trump's fault for creating a false expectation that he would be arrested on Tuesday. But the whole media had ex- had that expectation, not just Trump, because someone someone leaked it. So somebody in the DA's office leaked the information that was going to happen on Tuesday. Trump got ahead of it, got ahead of it to uh, to not be caught by surprise and making sure that everybody. So his the uh, the perception of Trump is that he knows what's going on because he usually does, and and he got out there and said, "Hey, I'm going to be arrested on Tuesday," and uh, calling for people to protest, which. Uh, I don't think he needs to call for it. I'm sure people will when they see it, if it happens. But here's the real kicker in this whole bogus indictment. The payment to Stormy Stormy Daniels was not Donald Trump's idea. And the $130,000 didn't come from any Trump-related bank account. So where did it come from? It came from Bragg star witness, former so-called Trump fixer, Michael Cohen, who paid it out of his own funds, not campaign funds. Cohen has has long claimed that Trump directed him to pay Stormy Daniels and other women lump sums in exchange for their silence. The problem is Michael Cohen is a proven serial liar who will say anything to get himself out of legal and financial trouble. In 2018, a federal investigation was opened and Cohen was slapped with eight charges in the U.S. District Court in Manhattan, supposedly for attempting to influence the 2016 election. That's rich, considering Mark Zuckerberg spent $350 million to influence the 2020 election. Oh, but I digress. Let's get back to it. Listen to this account from Cohen's former legal advisor, Robert Costello, who intervened when Cohen was suicidal. So remember, so Cohen hired Robert Costello to be his to represent him, and at this point, he was suicidal. He was ready to jump off, jump off a building in 2018. Well, here's what he did. He said he did this on his own. He didn't mention Donald Trump's name. He said there was a problem. Stormy Daniels' lawyer or representative got in touch with him. He worked out a negotiated deal, got an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement, 130000 I asked him, I said, is that Donald Trump's money? No. Uh, Did you get that from any Trump organization? No. Is that your money? Did you take it out of one of your accounts? No. I said, where did you get the money from? He said, I took out a HELOC loan. I said, why would you do that? He said, because I wanted everything to be secret. I didn't want my own wife to know about this. Once he told us that he was suicidal and he needed an escape route, an escape hatch was the phrase he used. He said, can I get a pardon? He said, I need to know what my options are. Can I get a pardon? Can I get a commutation? Can I get cooperation? Well, I told him that a pardon and commutation were out of the question. He hadn't even been charged with a crime. I said, so let's talk about cooperation. I said, Michael, no offense intended, but you're a bump in the road to the U.S. attorney's office. They are clearly going after Donald Trump. You're standing in the way and they're willing to roll over you in order to make you uh, decide that you have to flip. You have to cooperate with the government in order to save yourself. I said, Mm -hmm. a non-prosecution agreement gets you out from your from underneath all of your legal troubles. So I have to ask you now. Do you have anything on Donald Trump? Anything? And he said, no. And I said, Michael, think about this. Don't answer it quickly. You you said that you were up on the roof, ready to jump. And I'm telling you that there is a way out of this if you have information. It has to be true. What do you have on Donald Trump? And that's when he started with the same litany that he used for the rest of the two hours. I swear to God, Bob, I don't have anything on Donald Trump. The point is, when somebody is is really thinking of committing suicide 
and you're offering them a legal way out of this. If he had any information about Donald Trump, that would have been the one time, even for a serial liar like Michael Cohen, to, to fess up and say, well, wow. I know this or that because I'm, I want to save my own hide. But he didn't do that. So apparently, uh, apparently Cohen decided on his own that this was the right thing to do for Trump and didn't consult with Trump. And when Trump found out, that's when Cohen and Trump had their, had their falling out. He thought maybe uh, Trump was going to give him some cushy job in the White House if he did this. And, uh, and according to the stories we hear, that Trump knew nothing about it. And if, if Cohen had knowledge that he did know about, if he had anything, you know, if it's a choice of committing suicide or, or not, you'd think he'd come out with it if he had it. So, you know, he said, you know, you heard him in other parts of the conversation, you know, he said, there's no way I'm going to, no effing way I'm going to spend one day in jail. I'll do whatever I got to do. So, uh, meanwhile, meanwhile, the former Federal Election Commission chair, Brad Smith, says Bragg knows full well that the money didn't come out of Trump Trump's campaign funds, which makes their entire case fall apart. So, so in other words, um, they're trying to say that this can't, this, uh, this money was spent to hush, to hush her up was uh, paid from his campaign funds to influence the campaign. So here's the uh, former Federal Election Committee chairman saying that um, their entire case is fault because they know it didn't come out of campaign funds. The claim made by the DA is the federal law says something is a campaign contribution if it's made with the for the purpose of influencing a campaign. And that's the argument. Well, they were trying to do this because they thought if they could uh, pay hush money to Stormy Daniels, that would help Trump's campaign. So that's the theory. The problem with that is that the federal law, that standard is not a subjective standard. In other words, if I were to go out today and just pick some random person and pay them $50,000 because I thought that would help Trump get elected or anybody get elected, that wouldn't be a campaign expenditure just because that was my bizarre belief. It's an objective standard. And that's made clear by another part in the law that, that very specifically points out who you cannot or what things you cannot spend money on. So, for example, a candidate cannot spend money for a country club membership out of campaign funds. Candidates can't spend money on clothing. And I think just as a common sense matter, most of us would agree with us that most of us would not think that it is a campaign expenditure to try to settle potential legal claims against you or other claims against you uh, for events that occurred 10 years before you talked about running for, for office, you know, to pay, allegedly to pay hush money to, to Stormy Daniels or any, anybody else. I think it's a common sense matter. Most Americans don't think that's a campaign expense. And the odd theory of, of the DA Bragg is that not only could those expenses be paid with campaign funds, they would have to be paid with campaign funds. I think, again, it's a common sense matter. That's clearly wrong. But also, when you look at the statute and you realize that's an objective standard, it's clearly not correct to say that these were funds that count as a campaign expenditure. And had Mr. Trump paid for them with his campaign funds, my guess is that people in the DA's office right now would be trying to think about indicting him for illegally using campaign funds for converting campaign funds to his personal use. Want to get you coming or going. Uh, but I think the correct answer is there's no violation here as it stands. So clear, clearly, this is uh, they're reaching on this. They're reaching beyond what what they can what they can get. As Bragg's agenda became more transparent this week, Democrats suddenly started admitting that maybe this whole thing will backfire. They can see Bragg going after Trump is just strengthening Trump's chances of getting back in the White House. Then what do you know? Suddenly there was an abrupt cancellation of the grand jury hearing on Wednesday and another cancellation on Thursday. 
Reports surfaced that Bragg was having trouble convincing the jury to indict and that he may drop the entire case without bringing charges. This prompted the media to express their collective disappointment. The walls are closing in, as, uh, as has been said before. Uh, you know who is still at large. <laughs> we all rose to the occasion, the papers, everybody just went there. So many people were excited. You should prosecute the case you should always have do them in a timely manner. But the timely manner was a year ago. The whole world is watching our criminal justice system, and it is the first time, if he's going to be indicted, that we've indicted a former president. Uh, so I think we should take our best shot. Yeah, clearly, clearly they hate Trump more than they love this country. And I have to wonder if they love their families, because if they let this country go down, if they let this country go down to get rid of Trump, what's going to be left for their, their kids and their grandkids? And that's what I worry about. Anyway, I'm all out of time for this uh, this half, so stay tuned for five minutes weather, traffic, sports, and commercials, and I'll be right back with lots more. I'm okay. I Welcome back to part two of the main event. My name is Ed Hoffman with United American Mortgage. I don't talk a lot about real estate and finance on the radio. It seems like I talk a lot about not talking about real estate and finance. But if you're uh, if you're interested in in finding out what can be done with some of your real estate or your financing on the real estate, or if you're interested in one of those reverse mortgage things, call me toll free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020 or go to edhoffman.net, click on the United American Mortgage logo and we'll do the cyber thing and uh, you'll hear back from me or one of my talented teammates. So in the first half, we talked about the uh, the uh, case against Donald Trump, the big 400 pound gorilla in the room, all we've been hearing about on the on the news for the last week, and I hope hopefully I put in a little bit more background than you might have heard on the on a standard newscast. So uh, you know, let's go back to let's go back to February because this just seems like a uh, a Valentine's Day thing. You know, everybody remembers their first kiss, everybody remembers their first love, and every president remembers his first veto. So uh, in 2006, George W. Bush vetoed a bill, uh, his first veto. He vetoed a bill to ease restrictions on federal funding for embryonic cell research. He decided that, hey, we shouldn't be putting so much federal money into embryonic cell research. In 2019, Trump vetoed the Democrats' attempt to overturn his national emergency declaration at our southern border. And in 2023, Joe Biden used his veto power for the first time to block legislation that overturned a Labor Department rule allowing retirement fiduciaries to invest in accordance with environmental, social, and corporate governance movement, also known as ESG. We all need to learn this term because we're going to be hearing a lot more of it. So here are the details. The Trump administration created a rule that prevented fiduciaries from making investment decisions based on ESG factors. So, hey, you can't you know, when you're, when you're a fiduciary, when you're investing my retirement funds and your retirement funds and everybody else's retirement funds, you're supposed to be investing based on, Hey, what is the, what is the, the best investment with the least amount of risk to ensure that all us account holders are getting a good return on our money and we don't lose our money. So 
you shouldn't be saying, hey, I want to I want to contribute to environmental and social concerns. Hey, you know, we need to invest in this stuff because, you know, someone's got to fight climate change or, hey, you know what? We got to uh, we got to promote uh, critical race theory or we have to uh, promote people, you know, little kids changing their gender if they want to. Then Biden's Labor Department reversed it last year because they want the green agenda and diversity to be critical pieces of our financial system. They don't want to live in an America where your financial security is more important than climate change and social justice. I just don't want to live in a I just don't want to live in a uh, in an America that way. Then in December, Congress, both Republicans and two Democrats, Joe Manchin and uh, John Tester, voted to reverse the Labor Department's rule that ESG could no longer be considered in decisions related to Americans' retirement plans. So Trump put in the rule, then Biden's Labor Department reversed it. Congress Congress is now trying to put it back in, but Biden is vetoing it. And that's what Biden's vetoing this week. Congress's bipartisan attempt at reversing a rule that makes ESG a priority for people who manage our retirement plans. So now, fiduciaries can make investment decisions for your retirement plan based on ESG factors like climate change, diversity, and social justice. They can also let ESG influence their decisions when they exercise shareholders' rights, including voting on shareholder resolutions and board nominations. So let's think about the timing here. In the past two weeks, we've, been, we've had the biggest bank failure since 2008. Uh, Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, not to uh, not to even mention the Credit Suisse uh, in uh, in the Swiss Bank and First Republic Bank that also got the FDIC didn't bail them out. They got eleven other banks to bail them out, and not to mention uh, if we can go back and look at FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried that decided that hey, all these people that are investing in crypto, uh, we should you know we should take millions and millions of their dollars and invested to support the Democrat party. And it doesn't make any sense for their investments, but you know what? Sam Bankman fried just felt that this was the serving the greater good. We've since learned that the two banks involved were investing based on ESG principles. We've also learned that their boards were made up of members who had no banking experience, but plenty of loyalty, ESG diversity and inclusion causes. So this is no small thing, folks. The left is scrambling to put the message out that ESG had nothing to do with the collapse of these banks. But Silicon Valley Bank still has a website up, and it still has a whole section on their commitment to ESG. Look it up. Just Google Silicon Valley Bank's website, and there's a whole, there's a whole page in there about uh, how their commitment to economic and social uh, uh, governance uh, and it goes and it goes back to 2019, and and it shows what they what they were doing to in, to uh, ensure this. And it, back to 2019, yeah. Joe Biden has no reservations when it comes to bragging about this move. He tweets out, "I just vetoed my first bill. This bill would risk your retirement savings by making it illegal to consider risk factors MAGA House Republicans don't like." Really, your plan manager should be able to protect your hard-earned savings whether Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene likes it or not. Really? You know, it says, hey, they're not, it's making it illegal to consider risk factors? MAGA Republicans don't like? No, they're not, they're not talking about risk factors. They're talking about, hey, investing your money based on 
economic and social issues. Well, we have to we have to make sure that we save the save the save the world from climate change, and that's more important than making sure that we save your retirement so you can retire with the money that you've saved. As if the tweet wasn't misleading enough, he also delivered this statement defending the veto. I just signed this veto because the legislation passed by the Congress would put at risk the retirement savings of individuals across the country. They couldn't take into consideration investments that wouldn't be impacted by climate, impacted by overpaying executives, and that's why I decided to veto it. It makes sense to veto it. Well, that's that's not even close to being true. They couldn't consider they couldn't consider the the risk from climate change. You know, when you're when you're a um, a fund manager, when you're the fiduciary on a on a big retirement fund, you always consider all risks. Hey, you know, this is happening and this could be a problem for these companies that we're investing in, or this is happening and it could it could cause this or cause that. It's not a bad matter of them considering risk. This this uh, bill that the Congress uh, passed was to make sure that they couldn't just decide on investing your money because they're trying to save the world from uh, from racism or or uh, sexism or climate change. It's completely different than what Biden says. And so either he's stupid and doesn't understand it or he's just a freaking liar. Summing it up, what's going on with this veto and how it ties into what just happened in Silicon Valley and Signature Bank is Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee. They prioritize ESG and DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. They follow this like a religion. And when you look at this veto, and he is saying to 152 million Americans, Mm -hmm. your retirement savings are not as important to me as meeting the goals of ESG and DEI, so I'm going to veto this measure. But then look at what they did with SVB, Silicon Valley Bank. They went in and they bailed out this bank. The bank got in trouble because they weren't focused on their fiduciary responsibility. It was bad management. But what were they focused on? They were focused on diversity, equity, inclusion. They were focused on climate change, environment, social justice, governance. And what did they do? Federal government comes in, does a bailout, uh, rewarding this donor class that is very given to this agenda. This is another continuation of this. Exactly. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk more and more about what's happening in the economy as we go. And we'll uh, and I'll try to keep it in, in English so you guys understand it. So uh, the Fed raised, raised rates again this week. We all knew it was coming. In an attempt to fight against the perfect storm of relentless inflation, tightening credit conditions, and potential turmoil in the banking system, all ingredients and a recipe for a new financial crisis, the Federal Reserve raised interest rates again by a quarter of a point. On Wednesday, after the March meeting of the Federal Reserve, Fed Chair Jerome Powell began his press conference by addressing the bank collapse events in addition to the labor market and housing, and it wasn't promising. In the past two weeks, serious difficulties at a small number of banks have emerged. History has shown that isolated banking problems, if left unaddressed, can undermine confidence in healthy banks and threaten the ability of the banking system as a whole to play its vital role in supporting the savings and credit needs of households and businesses. 
That is why, in response to these events, the Federal Reserve, working with the Treasury Department and the FDIC, took decisive actions to protect the U.S. economy and to strengthen public confidence in our banking system. These actions demonstrate that all depositors' savings and the banking system are safe. Our banking system is sound and resilient with strong capital and liquidity. We will continue to closely monitor conditions in the banking system and are prepared to use all of our tools as needed to keep it safe and sound. In addition, we are committed to learning the lessons from this episode and to work to prevent episodes from events like this from happening again. Inflation remains too high and the labor market continues to be very tight. My colleagues and I understand the hardship that high inflation is causing and we remain strongly committed to bringing inflation back down to our 2% goal. The U.S. economy slowed significantly last year. Activity in the housing sector remains weak, largely reflecting higher mortgage rates. Yeah, they're committed to, uh, to learning from this and making sure that uh, everything's safe and learning from this and changing things to make sure. Weren't you around in 2008 when this happened? How come you don't pay attention to, to what's going on? So Jerome Powell says our banking system is strong, but it's kind of hard to believe him when our Treasury Secretary, is, who's also the former Fed chair, is giving a conflicting message this week. Janet Yellen says, not only was last week's bailout necessary, she says that government may have to do it again for so-called smaller banks, too. Intervention was necessary to protect the broader U.S. banking system. And similar actions could be warranted if smaller institutions suffered deposit runs that pose the risk of contagion. Yeah, so this may be necessary to do it again, but that's only if only if they're uh, if the people that invest in that bank or the people that have deposits are part of the selected Democrat class. So that Janet Yellen and a, and the majority of the of the board of uh, the Federal Reserve. Uh, decide that eh, we should save these people because they donate to our to our campaigns. Uh, so Fed Chairman also also spoke Wednesday about inflation and announced the quarter point increase in the interest rates. Inflation remains well above our longer run goal of two percent. My colleagues and I are acutely aware that high inflation imposes significant hardship as it erodes purchasing power, especially for those least able to meet the higher costs of essentials like food, housing, and transportation. We are highly attentive to the risks that high inflation poses to both sides of our mandate, and we are strongly committed to returning inflation to our 2% objective. At today's meeting, the committee raised the target range for the federal funds rate by a quarter percentage point, bringing the target range to four and three quarters to 5%. So inflation imposes hardships on people being able to buy groceries and pay their bills and, and uh, you know keep their, keep their houses warm in the wintertime. Increasing the rate slows down the economy, so it keeps the prices from going up any further. But that also creates unemployment. As the business slows down, then businesses lay off employment, uh, lay off people, and so it creates more unemployment. Unemployment apparently doesn't create any hardships, doesn't impose any hardships on anybody. Does that make sense to you? I don't know. You know what I I say? uh, I say, hey, there's another way to fight inflation. Turn on the drilling again. That's the one big thing that Biden did that affected everybody in the country, affected every business, affected everything, was, was energy energy uh, production and drove up the price of gas, which, uh, which drives up the price of everything else. And as well, he 
approved the uh, Nord Stream 2 uh, pipeline in Europe, which made Russia rich, which created a war in in uh, Ukraine. So you know, Biden could Biden could could reverse this and say, "Hey, I screwed up. Let's go back to work drilling for oil. Let's get a, get our production back up." And you watch everything turn around. But I'm not the president, so my opinion doesn't matter. So uh, let's talk about China's grand plan. China's grand strategy to displace the American order has been obvious for some time. Democrats have told us it's fine to say that, as long as we don't accuse Chinese government of creating a virus to help them do it. Remember two years ago at the height of COVID when Joe Biden gathered Kamala and other advisors in the Oval Office with everyone obediently masked up, of course, to make this announcement with the TV cameras coincidentally recording the entire meeting. Last night, I was, uh, I was on the phone for two straight hours with Xi Jinping. And uh, you all know as well as I do, these folks, uh, and it was a good conversation. I know him well. We spent a lot of time together over the, uh, uh, over the years I was vice president. And, uh, but, uh, you know, they're going to, we don't get moving. They're going to eat our lunch. Yeah, so that was Biden contradicting himself after he said this on the campaign trail in 2019. China is going to eat our lunch? Come on, man. They can't even figure out how to deal with the, 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 the fact that they have this great division between the China Sea and the mountains in the east, I mean, in the west. They can't figure out how they're going to deal with the corruption that exists within the system. Well, they figured out how to engineer a bioweapon using gain-of-function research with bats paid for by the United States. So they must know something. They must, be, uh, they must be smart enough to figure some things out. We all know Biden waffles on China like, like that because his family has been greatly enriched by them. This is why he folds like a cheap suit whenever there's an issue with China. As if Hunter getting actual diamonds from Chinese oligarchs isn't enough proof we now have the House Oversight Committee revealing that they have financial records showing that at least three Biden family members received payments from a bank account belonging to the Biden business associate, Rob Walker, one of the Hunter and Jim Biden's partners in Sinohawk Holdings. And if you go back to our vault of Hunter Biden investigations, you'll recall Sinohawk is the shell company Hunter Biden used to partner with Chinese energy firm CEFC. According to these new records, Rob Walker received a $3 million wire transfer in 2017 from Chinese State Energy KH Limited, yet another firm affiliated with CEFC. Walker then distributed $1.3 million to accounts belonging to Hunter Biden, Jim Biden, and Haley Biden, Bo Biden's widow, widow who Hunter was sleeping with. Hunter's legal team said Hunter Biden is a private citizen with every right to pursue his own business endeavors joined several business partners in seeking a joint venture with a legitimate energy company in China. Hunter received his portion of good faith seed funds, which he shared with his uncle, James Biden, and Haley Biden, and nobody else. Yeah, right. Remember uh, uh, Tony Bobolinsky in the, the email that said 10% for the big guy? Yeah, right. So uh, I don't know if, if you remember that. Uh, uh, and, if you, and I don't know if you remember two weeks ago, we had... Uh, uh, Trump talking about seed money. He's talking about the money we're spending in Ukraine and saying, hey, you know what, if, if you put money into, uh, into a country or into a company, i.e. seed money, you say, hey, when this is all over, we own half of your company. 
And he's saying that, hey, this doesn't make any sense to, to dump this much money into Ukraine and we're not getting anything from it. They're just going to tell us to, to get lost. So when, a, when you bring in an investor to prop up your company, hey, we want to do this, but we don't really have the money to expand. So we bring in an investor and they say, hey, we'll invest $3 million. They don't let you take $1.3 million. They don't let you take 40% of it and stick it in your personal bank accounts. There's no way. That would never happen. So, hey, you know, they got this money from the, from the Chinese uh, company, and, uh, and then we just took our share of the seed money. We just, just distributed it. doesn't make any sense. And here's what the White House said about this. House Oversight says they've got bank records showing a Chinese energy company paying three Biden family members through a third party. What were they paid for? Look, I'm just not going to respond to that from here. Look, it, we have heard from House Republicans for years and years and years um, how, uh, how the inaccuracies and lies when it comes to this issue. And I don't even know where to begin to even answer that question because, again, it's been lies and lies and inaccuracy for the past uh, couple of years, and I'm just not going to get into it from here. Well, if uh, Karine Jean-Pierre says it's lies, then I guess, I guess that's it. It's just lies. That's what it is, just like Hillary Clinton saying, trickle-down economics has been tried and failed for famously for dozens of years, or for, for however she said it. It's been tried and failed at this point, there should be no denying the Biden family is owned by the Chinese Communist Party. So uh, effectively, I guess the Chinese Communist Party runs the United States. Therefore, we are part of it. Pretty frightening considering this week Chairman Xi traveled to Russia so that he and Vladimir Putin could declare they have a, quote, friendship without limits. It's a love without end, amen. And as Xi told Putin, Change is coming that hasn't happened in a hundred years, and we are driving this change together. Also known as Russia and China are plotting to work together on replacing the U.S. as the world's great superpower. That's worse than eating our lunch. That's called New World Order. And also be aware when they decide that the United States dollar is no longer the standard currency for trading around the world, we will no longer be able to print print money whenever we uh, decide to overspend. And guess what? You'll see interest rates climb up, 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 up. And you'll see uh, life as we know it basically end. But Biden's not worried about that because his family legacy is paid for by the Chinese. Now, at least one other prominent Democrat sees how this works, and she wants the piece of the pie for herself. You know, hey, if I can, uh, if I can uh, kill off another company and put a, a little change in my pocket in the process, all right. So we're talking about Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. She just approved $585 million in taxpayer funding from her state to go, go towards the building of a Chinese electric vehicle battery plant. So, uh, hey, why is she doing that? Bringing in, uh, bringing in jobs for Michigan? I don't think so. The town it's going in as Big Rapids is trying to get federal government to conduct a review of the national security risks this poses. So hopefully we'll see a Republican-led committee taking this on in Congress soon. Here's Tudor Dixon, the Republican who opposed Gretchen Whitmer in the election last year. How could Gretchen Whitmer have gotten away with this? 
Well, how did she get away with this? But how is it not a bigger story? What we've recently found out because we gave the the state of Michigan lawmakers and Gretchen Whitmer have decided to give this company 715 million in taxpayer dollars. But in the company bylaws that are on the company website, it clearly states that when they get to Michigan, they have to have a CCP organization on site, a Chinese Communist Party organization on site, a propaganda arm of the CCP right in the center of the country in Michigan, one square mile of CCP in the center of Michigan, and that has to influence the grassroots of the corporation. So think about that. They have to have the CCP there. This is in the bylaws. Clearly, the lawmakers and Gretchen Whitmer read these bylaws. You would have to say, you would have to know what the company's operations are going to be. This is nowhere near any of our car manufacturers, any of our automobile manufacturers. So what exactly are they doing in this rural area in Michigan? But to top it off, we now know that about 250 to 300 will be housed at the local university there, Chinese nationals. These are not going to be American jobs. They're bringing Chinese nationals in to take these jobs and they will be housed at the local university where the local university has just so happened to be telling people, this is such a good idea. You have to have this corporation here. So how much money are the Chinese going to give the local well, university? And Gretchen Whitmer, who strikes me as extraordinarily Corrupt. I mean, someone got paid for this. Do we know who? Yeah, we we can uh, be uh, we can be pretty assured that it's Gretchen Whitmer. So let's consider all this going on. Chinese are buying uh, farmland around our uh, our military uh, installations in uh, in Iowa and North Dakota and all around there. Um, they're setting up a battery factory uh, in Michigan. And they're bringing in their own their own people to to run it. They're not bringing they're not bringing this in for American jobs, and we're paying for all this. Um, at the same time, we see Chinese migrants coming through the southern border in record numbers. Um, can you put two and two together and come up with four? You know uh, what what walks like a duck and quacks like a duck and waddles like a duck um, is probably a duck. You know what. Watch this stuff, put it all together, and uh, and be aware, and, and we have to stand up against this. Hey, anyway, I'm all out of time for this episode of The Main Event, so uh, thanks for listening. My name is Ed Hoffman. I'll be back again with you next week. <laughs>